Okay, so Gene Roddenberry... I had a great time. Uh, he's written three scripts. And, and they were all awesome. Two of them just are not very good. So wait, which are the three he's written? Uh, the Cage. Okay. A Private Little War. And this week's, one of this week's episodes, The Omega Glory. And this was a great episode. I need you to defend your position. Okay, well, it's a great episode in the sense that, like, it's, I mean, it's it's awful. Everything that happens is horrible and terrible. It's a poorly written, it's stupid, it makes no goddamn sense, it's soapboxing. But I have to say, every single thing that happened, I I didn't see a single thing from this episode coming. Every single thing that happened surprised me. I laughed a lot out of sheer ridiculousness. But it's just, just when I thought it was at its peak... Something else happened, you know, just when I thought, okay, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about the Cold War. And then they say, well, these are really Americans and communists. And I'm like, all right, that's as stupid as they can get. Then they pull out the American flag and I'm like, okay, that's as stupid as it can get. And then they start reading the, and then Shatner's reading the constitution by the end. And it has this final shot of like the flag and the dramatic, it was great. It was just Horrible, horrible awfulness. So what you're saying to me then is you appreciate this episode on a pure camp level. Oh, yeah. This was camp as hell, and I, it was hilarious. I mean, I guess I can see that. Um, I generally don't approach Star Trek from that perspective, and so to me this episode is not not top five worst, but it's, it's up there for sure. Uh and, and, the I, thing, and the thing is, like, until the last 10 minutes, it's kind of boring, right? Like, I think it's tedious well, in general they, because they, they've done the crazy starship captain thing much better in other episodes. They've done uh, two warring factions on a planet that are similar to Earth. Uh, much better in other episodes. They've done Random Planet, which some environmental thing makes people resistant to disease and healthy and living long. They've done that. Yeah, it's just like... Uh, they've that... done Random Disease that's killing people off, and what is it? Right. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. It's... It has... I mean, it starts off with this... They go, they beam onto this star... You know, on this other starship, and people have basically been turned into salt, you know, because they've been dehydrated, and it's like, okay, what's that? But they don't really seem to care about that for the rest of the episode. It's just kind of a, well, we're on the planet, and... Well, that's know. a way to get them to stay on the planet, Yeah, right? and then later they... But but later then they're like, well, you know, it's just we waited a few days and we were fine, you know? So, you know, they don't even... Like, it's very obvious they don't even care about finding a solution for it. Like, McCoy just announced that the problem corrects itself. Right, That's right. how they resolve that. Like, that's... Well, that's 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 the weird thing about the episode, right? Is that that's the reason this disease, mysterious disease that has killed the crew of the Exeter, is the, uh, the, the, the reason for them beaming down to the planet. It's the yeah. reason for them staying there. Uh, and really, the episode is not about that. It's about this war between the Yangs and the Cones, or whatever the <laughs> fuck they're called. Uh and the the you're right. The disease is sort of just there, and then it goes away because it doesn't serve a purpose. And the, the only purpose it serves, it has met. And so the end of the episode comes, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, we're fine. We can leave." And it turns out that I mean, that's that, yeah, I think that's they, maybe the one part of the episode that I actually like is this idea that this this cap captain Tracy was it 
that he stays on this planet under false pretenses because he thinks that he's going to die if he leaves. And so he's created this entire uh, war between these two groups for, for no real reason. Well, I, I, I thought that it was the, 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 the Yangs were attacking the comms and he was trying to protect the comms. Yeah, and why? Like, because, why? Well, because he's a com- an evil commie. Um, see the see the what it, it, it's a twisty ending in a way. So you start off having this village of and there. I, I have to say, there's a lot of extremely problematic racial elements in this episode. I'm, I'm glad you said and that because we, I was about to bring that up. Oh, because number because I, I was going to say. Kirk explicitly describes them as the white people and the yellow people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not in a, Yeah. And not only... Not That's only... the first of many extremely troubling parts about this, which we will get into as the episode goes on. Well, the thing is, though, right, like, not, not only are they the white people and the yellow people, quote-unquote, but uh, they are white and yellow to a person. And not only are they white and yellow to a person, they are... The, the the combs are dressed like almost the Mongols, Mongol hordes yeah. and the Yangs are dressed like Sweden. Like, well, they, no, they, they look they, like they look like Swedes. Well here's the thing. Okay, so so we have this, you know they beam onto the planet and we initially think that this Mongolian group is the good guys and here are these um and they're basically the Yahoos from uh, you know, Gulliver's Travels. Right. They're just these you know, feral and, you know, strong and attacky and crazy and incoherent and you can't speak to them. So you're thinking, okay, you know, this new starship captain has aligned himself with these people and, you know, he's protecting them from this threat from without. And that's fine. And, you know, the main issue here is whether is the prime directive. So let's talk about this. Um, So you have Kirk eventually initially is saying, well, even though he was protecting this village, he doesn't have the right to protect this village. That's a that's a violation of the Prime Directive. In other words, without Starfleet intervention, this tribe would have overwhelmed and killed the comms. And they're, you know, the only reason they're able to uh, repel the, the Yanks as long as they did is because, you know, he has a few phasers. And one of the things I did appreciate is how, you know, when later Kirk does request the phasers, he says... You know, oh, we need to have, you know, approval for that. So obviously Starfleet has some procedures in place so that way Starfleet captains don't just arm villages like that, which I thought was a nice detail. And where's Scotty, by the way? Um, drunk. <laughs> Apparently. Um, anyway, so you, you have this and then he, he they're in, so they're in prison and this, so let's talk about the prison scene now. Okay. Because you have... Sp- Kirk in with these Yanks, and then you have Spock in the other cell, and he's just kind of there and making passive comments like, oh, they're very aggressive, Captain. Well, meanwhile, like, Kirk is trying to fight them and repel them off, and meanwhile, this entire time, I'm thinking, doesn't Spock have, like, mind control powers to a degree, like, where he could at least incapacitate one of them while Kirk works on the other? But, you know, we'll get to that in a minute. Um... Kirk, you know, says freedom, and they're like, freedom? Well, that's our sacred word. And now they're friends. They open up the gate, and the Yank uh, knocks Kirk out. Okay, and, and, and here's my first problem with the reveal of the episode that the Yangs used to be Americans. Whatever. Uh, 
freedom as a word does not appear in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or the Pledge of Allegiance, right? So yeah, and especially if you're why, going... Well, the Pledge of Allegiance, yes. But I mean, does. if you're going Founding Fathers-y, you could get, Liberty would be... Yeah, why... See, that, that's more of a, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Like, I figured, okay, that makes sense as a but same, I, series of sacred words to America, yeah. But I guess liberty would, would be harder to work in a script or in conversation. Yeah, of course. So... Like, we need to break out of this prison. We need liberty. Like, no one talks like that. yeah. But it's 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 a problem. Yes. Then um, it's a, then it's a problem that suddenly out of nowhere they decide to talk, which absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. Because the Yangs were characterized as basically a, a mindless uh, savages, and now suddenly they can talk. And it's like, why didn't you talk in the first place and just explain yourself? And this could all have been avoided. Okay. So once there was a little boy was born, and you know. Growing up, he just never learns to talk. And parents take him to the doctor, has him tested for, like, hearing and, you know, everything. And the doctor says, physically, he's fine. You know, mentally, he's he's bright kid. He's, you know, but just some kids just take longer to talk than others, you know. So they wait years and you just kid never talks, doing well in school, you know. Everything's fine. They just figured, okay, he's never going to speak. One day at dinner, the boy turns to his mother and he says, you know, the peas are really cold. And, you know, parents are shocked. And the mother says, how come you've never said anything before? And he says, well, the food's been really good up till now. Was that little boy named Richard? Yes. Okay. Um, That's an autobiographical criticism of Star Trek. Um, Yeah, like, that that was really stupid. It was just like, and, okay, is it me or was there some kind of, like, digital deepening of his voice? Not uh, if he wouldn't be digital, but deepening of his voice, like an audio effect on it. It sounded like in the first conversation. And then later they took that off. I don't know. That may have just been. That could have just been, like, a thing. Yeah, I I don't. It it was a stupid. Anyway, so then meanwhile, but then, so they break out of this window and. Spock says, you know, Spock has the same, you know, concrete on the windows as breaking down. Kirk's out for seven hours. Spock has apparently just stood there. Like, he hasn't even tried to break his window further, figuring, you know, all right, my captain's out. And what what Kirk ends up doing is breaking him out from the other side. Spock could have just as easily done the same. I think Spock needed a vacation. Yeah. I think that's basically like, it. He's like, this is my opportunity to get some shut-eye. He's just totally passive in this episode, which is not how Spock is. Like, Also, he cracks a joke at one point, which is very weird. Because I, when, when uh, Kirk is in the prison cell and he's fighting the two, the two Yangs, uh, he says something like, geez, don't these don't these people ever tire out? And Spock says, well, one of them can rest while the other fights you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, that's Spock. Oh, you asshole. Um. It's just, it's it's not, a, like, the thing is, okay, so, so Roddenberry wrote A Private Little War, which we both thought had way too much plot. This episode really doesn't have any plot whatsoever, and the plot that it does have turns out to be a... A, a twist ending that the Twilight Zone would have been embarrassed about, and it's just it it it's completely nonsensical. It's it, it, the 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 whole buildup of it for forty minutes is a, a grade Z Star Trek episode where nobody has any motivation for what they're doing. The two warring factions are completely without any sort of characterization or reason for fighting. The planet itself is boring. Like there's like two sets. 
uh, McCoy is just off doing something. There are these like interminably long scenes of fighting. Kirk gets the, the upper hand on Tracy and then decides that he's not going to have the upper hand on Tracy and Tracy gets the upper hand back. Then Tracy disappears. Who knows what he's doing? There's this thing with phasers. What is the Enterprise doing? They're just hanging out. Like, why don't they just beam them up? I, I just, it, the whole thing is just stupid. It's like life, Eric. It's like how the Cold War really was. See, this was a bad episode. Because Roddenberry felt that the Cold War was a bad episode in Earth history. That is dumb. So is this episode, Eric. It's like life. Well, okay. So so we've been, <laughs> we've been dancing around the, the last 10 minutes of the episode. But oh. here, here's the thing, number one, is that I don't understand how in the world uh, Kirk would ever have come up with the Yang's Yanks. I mean, okay, so he comes up with it after he sees an American flag. And let me just, uh, Richard can describe the face that I am making right now. <laughs> it is not a good face. And it's just completely nonsensical. There is no explanation for this. There's no parallel worlds thing. There's no, well, the USS Yorktown came to visit 100 years ago yeah. and left an American flag and a copy of the U.S. Constitution. Like, that would have made that. sense. That There's would have been fine. That. And then they, they, they decide that the Yangs are a corruption of Yanks. Okay. That the Combs are a corruption of communists. That's a little more of a stretch, but all right. That the Yangs are some sort of like Swedish pop group that has turned into savages because they're all very white and very blonde. Well, the the combs are all they all look like uh, 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 Genghis Khan for some reason. Okay, I mean, keep in mind, communism was a it, 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 we weren't thinking Russia communism; it was intending to be Vietnam communism understandable yeah but... so but which i which i mean that's a that has its own problems but i mean that that to me was like okay why it was specifically asian but i don't communist. i don't think that that makes any sense and i'll tell you why because there's a line in the episode where uh, kirk says something about oh well the yangs want their cities back and the combs took them right and so that 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 has no analogy to vietnam whatsoever dominant I mean, theory if no, we don't, I, no. I, I no, I genuinely I, I, think there was that. If you did, it, this is of it. This is a pro-Vietnam War episode. You have to go go with that with that understanding. With the the, the because it was believed domino theory that the communists in Vietnam, if we did not topple them, then they would spread out. Commun Russia and Vietnam would go and take over the entire world of communism, and eventually communism would go into our homes, into America, well, and take over our poor little American white kids. You're you're misstating the domino theory a little bit in that it wasn't a fear that Vietnam specifically yeah, was going to take over the world. It was communism more generally, and the idea that. Uh, basically that communism as directed by the Soviet Union would eventually, the satellite states would go out further and further, yeah, yeah, yeah. infect other countries, infect, okay. infect other governments, and then eventually it would topple the United States government in the West. Um, so it really didn't have anything to do with Vietnam specifically. Of, okay. uh, it, it really Fair had to point. do with communism as an ideology. But that's why I don't think that it may, I mean, you could. But we make, were at more active war with Vietnam at this point. I think this was, this is supporting the, the, the fighting that was going on at that time. If we had been at open warfare with Russia, maybe they would have been, you know, looking like Russia. Well, if we had, if we had been at open warfare with Russia, there would not have been a Star Trek because we course. would all be dead. Well, that's, but, that's a fair point. But, um, 
I, I, I think just making the bad graduation and, you know, making them dehumanized as a way of saying Vietnam is okay that we're fighting this because we are really the good guys and they're evil. But why dress them like Mongols? I mean, the whole the whole thing just doesn't I, make any sense. I, that, and... that I don't know if it's any other reason than just to make it look exotic. I don't know. And then the end of the episode, it turns out that, that they pull out a copy of the U.S. Constitution. And it turns out that the Yangs were communists. And so the moral of the episode seems to be that even if America loses the Cold War in a thousand years, our uh, Aryan uh, our Aryan uh, descendants will, will take over new york city again from the mongols like what is going on here so here's some things um so basically the the backstory of this episode is that you have this planet that is in the nine you know and, and they mentioned by the way the 90s bacteriological warfare the 90s in the star trek universe were an awful decade yeah i think it's really interesting that they so basically one of the implications from that is that the Cold War will eventually go into bacterial bacterial warfare or a world war or something even worse. So this planet that's well, happened. Well, don't don't forget that in Spacey they said that it was the the eugenics wars of yeah. the 1990s. So there's this idea that the eugenics wars were happening in the 1990s, and now we introduce this idea that yeah. there was some sort of back, bacterial warfare. Going whether on. that's the same war, whether the eugenics war used bacterial warfare. I don't even know if that even matters. Yeah, both uh, either is bad in isolation, and if they're both together, that's bad. It's just a bad scene, no matter what. Um, so, th- so what they figure that that's happened on this planet. The everybody turning to salt thing is a just this bacteria is part of the atmosphere. Um, there's some way that this planet, you know, gives you an immunization if you live there long enough. The people, the comms have are so long lived just because out of thousands and thousands of years, that's just a natural. Evolution of humanity, but they basically say, okay, so these Yangs, they were, you know, these are the few that managed to survive this, and they just kind of, you know, lived a post-apocalyptic society, you know, lived as cavemen, and they specifically say they started living like the American Indians, right? Which hence wearing furs, and uh, which I, I, I have to say, yes, I mean, it, it, it's not the first story to say that if there is a all-out nuclear warfare, you know, we will regress to an earlier period of history. I mean, that's the point of Canical for Leibowitz. That's uh, a fairly standard trope. Except the thing is, American Indians, Native Americans are not white. In this episode, white and American, you know, number one, American and Native American, white and American, they're all conflated in a very troubling way. You know, which seems to contradict the entire point of the series, which is to have a, you know, society is multicultural. Society does have many, you know, men and women and different people. Yeah, and it, it, it would have been extremely easy for them to, to dodge that by just casting people yes. as yangs that weren't white. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that and the, the, there you go. You know, we just have a group of people, but they are all different races. That's irrelevant, you know. Yeah. The so then you now you have a thing now you have a racial element to the communism versus American thing, which is very uncomfortable. Um, Although Kirk does make the point that uh, doesn't he say something about uh, the, the the documents and the historical texts or the sacred texts or whatever they call them being for everyone, even the combs. Yes. Oh yeah. That 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 part too. So therefore, that that I that is. It's not so much everyone as in this is open to men, women, you know, black, white, you know, whatever. No, it's saying that this constitution applies to everybody or should apply to everybody. Um, 
Yeah, he says this needs to apply to everybody. So American ideology only works if it's a universal ideology. That's one of the other points of this episode that I found extremely sinister. You can't. No, I don't think that's. No, I mean that's that's. I mean that's just the universal universality of 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 human rights. I mean that doesn't have anything to do with like America sublimating the entire world with American ideology and like the military industrial complex. I, I think you're misunderstanding the end of that the end of the episode. I don't a know because I think you. It's not like he's talking about the Bill of Rights. It's not like he's talking about you know ideals of freedom he is specifically talking about the constitution at that point yeah but i I and i the constitution while expressing a certain political philosophy that one could argue is universal in that it's you know dignity of the human you know an individual but the constitution is also a set of like founding principles and laws that are specific to our country i mean well, okay, I think there's two things here. I think number one is that um, I wouldn't say that Roddenberry is the most uh, careful writer. And exactly. so yeah. uh, it, it, what what he is intending and I think what actually you can take from the episode are two different things. Um, oh, yeah. I think he's using I think he's using the Constitution here just because he likes we the people as a concept and we the people works to sort of like break the yangs out of this idea that this was some sort of like on from on high sacred document that came from God or whatever. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, the constitution, at least the part of the constitution that doesn't have uh, the bill of rights attached to it is just a legalistic document about how we are constructing a a government. But you're, you're, I think, you know, you could very easily sub out, the Bill of Rights here, or you could very easily sub out the Declaration of yeah. Independence. And the other thing is, too, the Declaration of Independence, nobody reads the whole thing. And the beginning of it is beautiful, but the rest of it is just a long list yeah. of what the King of England was doing to the American colonists that they didn't like. And yeah. so that it's in itself is not a very... Yeah, it's a practical document for a, that specific time. It's a practical document for that specific time. The Constitution is a practical document for a government to to form itself and to uh, to construct itself in some manner. So I think in that sense, I don't think it's intended to be sinister. Just because Roddenberry there is 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 putting himself in the position of throwing out American ideals to elevate uh, uh, the people watching the show to feel good about America and to. Um, Say, yes, you know, we don't want to control the world. We don't want to um, subsume the world into some sort of like, to use your term, sinister ideology. I think he's talking about it from the point of view of we want to give freedom to everyone. And the Constitution, you know, it, it, it he's not he's not saying that the no, home I, should be governed by the Constitution. I, I don't even think that he, th- you know, Kirk, I don't I don't think that Kirk in this episode, if, if you want to talk about the characters in the episode specifically think that the Yang should follow the constitution as some sort of government because they literally can't. I mean, they can't even read it. You see, I, and I guess it's more of a, I'm not saying that Roddenberry intends it this way. It's just the writing of that part was so half-assed that these things jump out. Like it's, it's has a lot of unquestioned premises that again, Casting the entirety of the Yanks as white 
is not a, I don't think that was a deliberate decision that anybody made. It just seems like that was just I something think, that was overlooked. Like it's I, just, no, I think it was a I think it was a deliberate uh, distinct de- decision, and I think the reason why to is just because to the, differentiate them, yeah. And I think they just wanted to have the two sides look different. And what was the majority? What what still is the majority yeah. uh, uh, ethnicity in America? Again, white people, and and I, I mean that's not going to be the case for much longer. But it certainly was the case in 1968. I guess it's one of those. I get that, and that makes sense. And this is with a 2013 viewpoint at this, of course. Um, I just found that I, as a 20, as someone watching this in 2013, I found that bit troubling. Things yeah, like that. No, it that's, is. that's yeah. I guess how I. That's I guess it. I don't think any of this was intended to be, but. Uh, societally, so much has changed since this episode was filmed, and now that a lot of these attitudes are unsupportable, even as noble as he may have intended them to be. Yeah, and I don't think that you could write a good version of this episode. I, I really don't think it could happen. I mean, there there are so many problems with it in terms of what you're talking about, in terms yeah. of racial makeup. I mean, you could let, let's let's make the Yangs, you know, United Colors of Benetton. Let's make the Combs, uh, you know, a selection of races that constituted, you know, let's have some Cubans in there. Let's have some Vietnamese. Let's have some some uh, Ukrainians. Yeah. You know, let, let's just do all that stuff. Let's make make it a much more uh, logically makes sense. There was a, a ship that came or even they go back in the past. I mean, who knows? Let's yeah. do, rewrite this entirely. Um I think you still can't have a good version of this episode because there's just too many problems with the construction of it. And even if leaving aside all of the issues with the very end, I think a lot of the issues with the end of it that you're finding could have been fixed with a couple of rewrites, specifically because it comes out of nowhere. It's it's incredibly rushed. And the first like 35, 40 minutes of the episode you could figure out a different way to get them down there. You could figure out different ways for them to occupy their time instead of having these like really long, boring scenes with them in jail and then working out like how to defeat Tracy and then the, yeah. it's just all this stuff. It's just not good. And I, you know, I think I think the at the end of the day, this episode makes me wonder about Roddenberry as a writer because yeah. he's not very good at yeah. it and. I guess nobody told him that. Well, at the end of the day, he's Gene Roddenberry. Are you going to... I I don't think he would have listened. <laughs> I wonder if it's as simple as that, but... I mean, another thing I'm finding weird about it is it... it we're never really told that, yes, Starfleet is headquartered in San Francisco, but I never associate it with America. I mean, this may be just a general sci-fi-like thing, but I associate it as an Earth force right rather than an american force i assume that you know based on the simple fact that you know chuck chekov exists you know it's obviously an international thing you know um yeah uhura is supposed to be from from africa yeah uh, uh, Sulu, Sulu, Japanese. Right. you know it, so so we assume that you know and you know not only is it earth it's you know we have vulcan on the ship we have we're told that there are a lot of different so espousing a specifically American ideal seems very against the entire point of the show, which is to say that, you know, these ideals are universal and they are, you know, culture, you know, the, the idea of education and culture and, you know, diplomacy and all and exploration and learning and all of those. Um, those are ideals that everybody in the world can, you know, espouse. 
So to make an episode about a specifically American set of values seems to miss the point of it seems a little too sh- uh, narrowly focused. Yeah, but I think uh, you know. And again, at, I get what you're going. You know, at the end of the day, this is a show. Yeah, an American television show aired in America. Yeah, in 1968, they're not going to like uh, find the UN Declaration on Human Rights. They're not going to find you know anything like that. So I guess yeah. There, there's there's I, a certain amount of that that I agree with you, but there's also a certain amount of this was made in a specific time and at a specific place, and you just kind of got to go with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, that's that's it. It's a dated episode. Yeah, I, because of how dated it is, I found it ridiculously hilarious. That's, All right. I guess there was one really interesting line that I found in there, bit that I found in there, um, because at one point they're so they're trying to, you know, he and you know Kirk and Tracy are trying to, you know, say, well, I'm evil, he's evil, you know, and and then Tracy's like, look, he looks like Satan, which is you know the specific, you know, the usual Spock thing, um. And he says he doesn't even have a heart. Uh, immediately, McCoy says, no, he does have a heart. It's just different. It's in a different place to defend him. And basically yeah. saying, like, you know, that, that, that doesn't matter. You know, he just has a different anatomy. He's still as worthy of, you know, being a person. He's not even – I thought that was fascinating because as we have established, McCoy's kind of racist towards Spock. You know, McCoy, and a couple of ep- episodes earlier, uh, McCoy specifically said, like, your heart's where your liver should be or something like that. I thought that was interesting that, you know, he can be racist towards him, but somebody else can't. You know, that's that's the it's my crew thing. Well, yeah, it's I like, liked that. I, 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 I liked can, that. I can hit my little brother. Yeah. But you can't hit my little brother. I mean, that, that's basically what that is. I, oh, yeah. It was nice to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. All right. Well, and I also like Spock's line that, um, you know. I found that good usually triumphs. No, that was McCoy's line. Um, good usually triumphs over evil, except when good is very, very careful. Yeah, that was a good line. Yeah, it does have a couple of good lines, but yeah. on the whole, I think it's not yeah. a very good episode. I I agree with you. All right, so how many triples would you give the Omega Glory? Six out of ridiculousness. Six. Wow. I I, I any time. No, the I I was just in hysterical laughter the last ten fifteen minutes of the episode. And I had a fun time watching it. I guess the difference there is I've seen this episode a few times and it wears off. Okay, then so that's fair. It gets a two. I can I can see where we. Yeah, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, that you better not. Objectively, two triples. If this is your first time through, six. Okay, that's fair. Uh, well, let's move on to the ultimate computer. All right. So, what did you think of this one? I liked it. Yeah, it's a good one. It it wasn't. It was. It was better than I expected it to be. It's a solid episode. It's it's, it's, it's a DC Fontana episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, even when she's not uh, at the top of her game, she turns in solid, entertaining episodes of Star Trek. You know, it's unlike of, Gene Roddenberry. Well, <laughs> I mean, w- I, this episode had everybody in it doing something, and it had a lot of good, you know, character scenes, and it it, it, it had. The central conflict that uh, Kirk is feeling, you know, internally, was really well done. Um, I like it when they humanize Kirk like that. Because the entire time he's questioning himself, he's in a basically wondering if he doesn't want to be replaced by a computer because he's the glory hound. And for Kirk, this is a legitimate question. Is he doing what he's doing just because it gives him a lot of attention and prestige? 
Yeah. And for him to question that is a very important moment. The him. answer is yes, by the way. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I think it's interesting because at one point he asks McCoy, the you know, he, you know, McCoy comes in just like in the cage where the doctor, you know, the, there was that line from the cage, you know, a man will tell his bartender something he doesn't tell his doctor. Yeah. Um, you know, McCoy does the same thing. He, uh, you know, goes up, he's like, I have a prescription, you know, it's two Midori Sours, you know, and... You know, Kirk says, you know, am I doing this because, you know, why am I doing this? Am I not wanting to be replaced by a computer? Because And McCoy says, you know, if you're the kind of person who's going to ask that question, then you don't need me to answer it for you. You know, you'll figure it out. I mean, I think the answer is a little bit, but that's not his overriding motivation. I yeah I agree with you I think that definitely is a part of his character and I think yeah. that's a, a large part of why Kirk uh, has chosen this this you know career um, I would say remember this question when we get to Star Trek the motion picture okay I know that's a I know it's kind of an issue well yeah um but it's interesting because I think uh, you know leaving that question aside for a minute. Yeah. Um, I mean, what what do you make of the character of Daystrom and what do you make of because right because I I mean, my opinion of of Daystrom is almost that he is supposed to be kind of a a direct opposite of Kirk in that he was extremely brilliant when he was younger and did something that changed uh, Federation society in in developing the Duotronic computer, which runs, you know, the Enterprise and presumably all other um, Starfleet uh, ships. But now that he's older, and they specifically say that he's he's I think over fifty now, so it's been over twenty five years. Uh, yeah. I think that at one point they mentioned a quarter century. Yeah, they said he was in his twenties, so he was twenty twenty five. So he's he at least twenty twenty four. I think they said. Oh yeah. So yeah, he'd be like fifty five now. Um, fifty fifty five. So I think the, the the interesting question is, um, is is he supposed to remind you of? Kirk in a different way or in a different path that Kirk could have taken or is he just uh, kind of a, 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 a sad character in general? One of the things about the series that I've noticed is that if you want to be great you can't peak. Uh, Kirk it's it, it, it's I've noticed you know it specifically goes that Kirk has a show about him because he makes every decision well and because he's lucky and clever enough to always do the right thing or the daring thing and whether that's his own ego causing him to – I mean we've seen he doesn't let himself fail. Um, if we want to take that backstory where he found – what was the – which was the episode where he was fighting some – the obsession. Yeah. Right. Um, where he encountered this thing and he choked and it caused you know the deaths of how many people. Um, that, that was his failure and he's not allowed himself to fail since. So yes, his ego drives him to greatness. Yeah, um, yeah. Kirk does not allow himself to peak. Kirk always says, you know, no matter what, I have to do better than that than the last time. I have to push myself a little bit more. Otherwise, I will become useless. I mean, in this episode, he's terrified of being redundant. Um, I think that – and what's, his, what's the doctor's name? I Daystrom? Daystrom. I, I have like a horrible time remembering Star Trek characters. Um, Daystrom has peaked already. He peaked at 25. He – invented computers in this universe for all intents and purposes and it's one of those you make such a great first work that it's kind of impossible to top that 
he's on his fifth time making this new revolutionary computer. It's implied that the other four had a similar breakdown or something. Something was wrong with them and they didn't work. Yeah. We'd assume that they were unable to be controlled in some way. I think it's interesting because, you know, at the very end of the episode, um, when it's revealed that the M5 computer has sort of been been going a little nuts and they, they reveal that, uh, you know, it, it, it it's the breakthrough here for the Multitronic computer is that uh, he has implanted some of his own memory engrams on the computer and it's supposed to think like a person. And he, he, he explicitly, I mean, Daystrom has this breakdown on the bridge where he's he's... I mean, he's almost crying and he's like, yeah. I, you know, I, I need to show everyone that's snickering behind my back at the boy wonder that, you know, I, I can have something else in me and I can succeed in this kind of thing. And, and McCoy's basically like, uh, he's having a nervous breakdown. He might be insane. Like we need to, we need to get him help immediately. Um, and I think that's that's a large part of what makes Kirk tick as well, because yeah. I think Kirk is genuinely afraid of redundancy and i also think he's genuinely afraid of peaking and so he works really hard to ensure that that doesn't happen and interestingly enough that's exactly what's what how the computer is going insane keep in mind the entire time they've been talking you know every single person on the enterprise has been saying well this computer sucks and it's gonna suck to run this thing and this is awful you know what a stupid thing you know so you have a computer who is trying to be perfect and destroy everything in its path and, you know, be this great, you know, thing and, you know, fight at the perfect battle and who is not listening to anybody saying, look, you need to stop. You're not doing this right. You know, you're going the wrong way on this. I think it's really interesting that, you know, he did implant the computer with his personality, so it has his same exact flaws. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Again, going with giving too much power to somebody, well... You know, humans are limited, so a human flaw is can certainly be damaging, but give that same flaw to a, uh, a, an ultimately powerful computer, and you see what it's able to attack anything that's in its path. It's and that, but that's the interesting thing, right? It's not that the computer is 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 more powerful than a, than a person, but it's it's that it can think much faster than a person, react much faster than a person. Well, so, I mean, talk about pa- that could be a power power in a sense. That's true. Yeah. I, I guess I mean power in that sense, not strength or whatever. It has same controls of the ship, but yeah. it will be better at controlling a, in a fight. Let's yeah, say. yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, it it's it's kind of comes out of nowhere, this idea that they want to try to. I mean, and I'm not really sure what the end game here is for the M5 computer, because it seems like they want to uh, do tests and establish if they can run starships with a very skeleton crew. Yeah. And Daystrom seems to be really interested in. Um, you know, there's a very there's a line where he explicitly says that one of his goals with the M5 computer is to uh, stop the the sort of like waste of life and resources that they have by sending men out to space to die. And you know what what he doesn't understand, and I think what drives Kirk in a lot of ways, and I think what drives everybody on the ship in general, but Kirk specifically is, um, you know, the 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 fear of failure and the possibility of failure. And the possibility of dying uh, out here is is really what drives them yeah. to be as good as they can be and to do the things that they do. Well, you've, I mean, we've talked about how right now this is kind of the frontier. So, yeah, it is dangerous to go into space. Let's say you have a mission to just get some mining resources. You know, you could 
deal with Klingons on the way. You know, you could find you know find Romulans. So if you have a crew of four hundred people who's getting you know these supplies, that's four hundred lives that are at risk. He, you know, they're feeling at oh, if we could automate you know the battles, you know, it will be those twenty. You know, number one, there will only be twenty people you know lost, and if we have a computer running things, the bat the battle will be so much more in their favor. I mean. He's doing this for noble reasons. It's not like he wants to replace Kirk because he's evil or anything like that. I mean, I think he and Kirk dislike each other intensely, and, you know, I would say the computer and Kirk dislike each other as well. I don't think that there is—I I, I don't think it's refusing to put Kirk in the landing party out of—by accident, you know? I yeah, think, yeah. I think there might be a bit of spite there, because— But here's the question, though. I mean, is, is, the, is the M5 computer wrong? In saying that there's no reason for Kirk to go on the planet, it depends. What was the, I don't? I'm. It depends on what the mission is because there could be a lot of times where yes, having the captain would be a useful thing. I act. I didn't catch what the mission was. I would assume it would not be. I just like a, it's just like a survey mission. I mean, I don't. You know, I mean that that is kind of the interesting question of the episode. Yeah. The one that starts it out is that maybe Kirk doesn't need to go on the away missions. I mean, what you know? Why does he need to be in the landing party? What is he really doing? And um, you know, he's there to make decisions ostensibly and he's there to, to, to direct the course of the ship and direct the course of action and, and make, make the best decisions for people. And, uh, you know, but, but at, at a certain point, part of command is delegating, yeah. delegating responsibility and, you know, knowing, uh, when you can step back and when you need to step in. And so for Kirk to be a continually going on landing parties, maybe that's not a good thing for the, uh, professional development of his crew. Well, I know that's one of, one of the, Things you said about Next Generation is that they never have Picard on the landing party, mm-hmm. and yeah, very rarely does Picard yeah uh, go down on away missions. Again, I could see certain missions why you would want the captain in, especially if it's a you know something fairly ceremonial or honorific, or you know if you need to negotiate with you know the leader of a planet or something like. Yes, get the captain in. That's a you know protocol thing. But yeah, when he's just so you know distress call. Yeah, maybe it doesn't make sense for the captain to be on. Yeah, it really doesn't. I mean, there's a certain point where you just have to kind of delegate your responsibility. Mm. Um, I think the other interesting thing about the M5 computer in general is, that, you know, towards the very end of the episode, you know, McCoy, Kirk, and Spock are, are in the turbo lift and they're having a conversation. And, uh, you know, Spock says something really interesting, um, you know, where he, he states that, you know, McCoy said that he said that computers are better than people and, and, and Spock corrects him and says that he said that they were more efficient. They weren't better. Yeah. And so there's this idea too that that efficiency does not equal uh, 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 making something better necessarily. Well, what, I thought, what I thought was really – Spock is fascinating in this episode because at the very beginning – Don't say fascinating, Spock. Yeah. I love that line. Um, He's – you know, uh, when, when he first, you know, knows that – whatever doctor you know guy i forgot his name already i'm sorry daystrom daystrom it's not a real name Eric. you need to start taking like fish oil pills or something man like you gotta help your memory i know um i'm gonna get you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna start making flashcards for okay. the episodes with the names on them okay um when darwell goes you know when they find out that he's going to be on the ship you know spock is immediately like you know, he's a little starstruck because this guy invented computers. You know, obviously, you know, Spock, who is totally interested in computers, is going to, you know, relish the opportunity to meet this guy. And he, you know, is very respectful towards him. I don't he's, think Spock likes him. I He respects him, though, because he... Yeah, but I don't think he likes him. It doesn't... Yeah. I mean, to Spock, that may not matter, but... Yeah, exactly, because he... 
either way, Spock does undeniably. Knowing- I think it's I think it's interesting because we don't generally get a. Uh, a sense of who Spock likes and who Spock, Spock doesn't true. like. You know, we know he likes uh, Kirk. We know he likes McCoy to some degree. You know, we know, but we don't really get a sense on on a, on an episode level that he really has. He doesn't make strong opinions, uh, personal opinions about people that he meets on the on the course of his missions. But I I get a sense that he doesn't particularly like Daystrom. I think you're right. He respects him, but and I, I don't think, think his, he likes him. I think his opinion sh- may change over time. Because keep in mind, before this episode has started, he hasn't met him. You know, hearing, you know, here's the guy he meets, you know, made computers. And then as he's going, realizing how stubborn and illogical he's acting and how this computer isn't really that good. I think that may have changed his opinion. Maybe. So maybe he he grows to dislike him. But either way, when he's first looking at the computer, he's, you know, Spock is, you know, terribly interested in it because he does notice what a revolution it is. But once he starts seeing it in action and realizing, and number one, he's seeing the effect this is having on Kirk, and he's noticing these illogical things in how the computer is acting, and he goes to Kirk and he says, look, you know, um, you know, I admire this computer, I, I think it's very, it can be very useful, but I don't wish to serve a computer, you know, I don't want a computer to be my master's computer, should be the are, you know, tools that, you know, we get to use in order to make our jobs easier rather than to replace us. Yeah. And he says, you know, one of the, you know, we need more than technology to run a ship. A ship runs on loyalty. Yeah. And Spock saying that, I think, says everything you need to know about starships in general and how they work. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those. And that's that's why Spock and Kirk are such good friends, because that's that that is exactly what he needed to hear, you know, and it's because at this point Kirk is at his most afraid that he's going to re- be replaced, and Spock's saying like, "Look, that does not have my loyalty. You do, you know. Everyone on the ship does not have loyalty to this computer." And you know, it's right after that that McCoy then does the other side of it, you know, giving him a drink and just like letting him, you know, letting Kirk talk. So I think between yeah, yeah and that's 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 why Kirk always has the two of them. Like as close as he can, they know exactly how to what to say. Oh, that's exactly the role that they yeah. they have and on I, the I, show in general. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it was it was very nicely done. But you know, it's interesting because you know I don't think that there is a uh, the idea that Kirk is is going to be replaced or obsoleted is is not an unfounded one because if you recall uh, right. at the very beginning uh, when when the M five computer first takes over control of the Enterprise and the test is a success. Um, Commodore Wesley, who who Kirk uh, admires and who is you know uh, above him in rank, uh, signs off by calling him Captain Dunzel, which turns out yeah. to be like this really catty remark about how obsolete Kirk is. Yeah, and that that has to. I mean, that's really weird. I mean, to me, that line really speaks to who Commodore Wesley is supposed to be and what kind of man he is. Because nasty remark. Yeah, it was really nasty to say to Kirk, and I think. It, it completely characterizes their relationship in one line in that Kirk respects, you know, Wesley very much, but we don't really get the sense that Wesley respects or likes Kirk at much. Yeah. I mean, you don't say that to someone who you like. No, no, it's a, he's not and that totally... sad about the fact that Kirk might be replaced. He is actively gleeful about that, you know? And so maybe there's, there's a, you know, there's a sense that there is sort of this um, competition, 
among commanders of starships as well. I mean, that's maybe why Kirk was chosen, because it's a, you know, the, the, in a way, maybe Kirk was chosen not as an honor, but as a fuck you. You know, he's, yeah. he's, they're, they're kind of, he's sarcastic about the honor. Like, at one, I think it's McCoy asks him at the very beginning, you know, beginning, how do you feel about this? And Kirk says, well, they tell me it's an honor. I'm really honored. You know, like, that, that says it all. Like, he's does not see this as an honor. You know, no, none of them like that. And, you know, I also like how Kirk's opinion stays neutral for a little while. Because at first he's like, all right, computer, we'll figure this. And then when he sees it in action, that's when he, you know, McCoy immediately is, this is awful. You know, Kirk weighs the options and he decides it, I think, fairly. He sees where the potential for abuse is. Yeah, totally. So... What do you make of the episode on a, you know, let's talk about its place in, in 1968. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I think this is really interesting because uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I, I forget the guy's name, but the, the guy who was in charge of like Bell Labs in okay. the 50s and 60s, and I think maybe even into the 70s, died okay. uh, a couple weeks ago. And he was instrumental in pushing forward um, push button dialing. Okay. So, you know, the idea that you used to have like Butterfield 7849 and now you have, you know, 5551212 or whatever. Um, And there was a lot of resistance to that in general. And I think, you know, if you look at the state of technology in the late 60s and there was a gen- i mean there's always a there's always sort of a generalized fear that technology is going to obsolete your job um well, we still have that now I we mean. have that now but i you know i think we're 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 kind of used to it in some regards because you know we're we're very used to personal technology advancing yeah. very quickly and i think you know maybe people weren't so used to that in 1968 and i i, I look to the example of, of push button dialing as something really interesting especially in light of you know when it came about uh i think it was the early 60s and it's you know and 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 sort of like on the timeline of that in this episode you know uh, c- telephone operators going away you know this sort of like march of progress and so what you know do you think there's anything there well it's funny cuz w- watching this episode i was thinking about the movie desk set um which you've seen i've never seen it okay uh Catherine hepburn space spencer tracy she works in the re- she's the head of the research department of like a t- a news station um, and he's, uh, works for IBM and they're putting a computer into there. And so the entire thing is they're worried that, okay, well, if we have a computer with all this information in it, you know, what are we going to do? You know, we, we, you know, and she knows like every single book in the library and everything like that. Um, but the eventual, and you know, there's a scene at the end where she's like out computering the computer, you know, and, the, the eventual message of the movie is that, you know, this computer is just a tool. It will not replace humanity, but it will make it easier. There are some things that, you know, a, only a person can do, you know, when it comes to creativity or synthesizing information or, you know, analyzing something in that way. Like, a computer will never be able to do that, you know. When it comes to just finding a mundane fact or doing a tedious calculations or something like that, you know, yes, that can save time. And yes, maybe in this way... You know, you do need a computer dealing with the mundane navigational things, so that way you can, you know, that frees up Sulu to do more advanced or, like, they're, you know, more tedious things. Or there's an asteroid field. You need to move very quickly, you know. A computer would be better for that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So, but here you have the exact opposite message, that too much technology will, you know, re- 
com- too much technology replacing humanity is a bad thing. And you need to curb it to a certain degree because if you try to make humanity replace technology, to technology replace humanity, you will get technology destroying humanity. Yeah, and I think I think the implication there is more that um, computers are not good at, at at judgment, and computers yeah. are not good at, at at analysis necessarily, and so they're really good at directed analysis, perhaps. And so, I mean, we've seen that in the show. I mean, we, they, that's they kind of, ask, that's kind of how we feel about it in real life. Is yeah, we we ask you know we ask. Um, they they ask computer the computer questions and the, and the computer will come back with an answer. Um, I mean, you even say you know computers are good at finding facts. Well, they're not really. I mean, uh, if you type in something to to Google like uh, you know when did the Revolutionary War happen, you'll probably get an answer that's right, but it'll take you to the Wikipedia page for the Revolutionary War and you'll find it there. Yeah, and and of course we're we're overlooking the fact that that the Google algorithm was was invented by people was was yeah. was built by people oh, yeah. was constructed by people was written by people, um, it, it's fine tuned by people. Uh, Wikipedia was of course written by yeah. people. I mean, there's so there's this idea. No, that, it's yeah. one of those the Google because pre you know search technology the internet was you know search technology has enabled the internet to exist pretty much in this form. If we did not have search technology, it would not be nearly as big as it would be just through simple how do you organize it yeah so you know that's a very good thing but it also does require you know but how many people don't really pay attention to you know and look through and just you know get stuff how many people do rely just on the i'm feeling lucky well how many people type in the website they want to go to in the google box (laughs) i mean that happens all the time i've I've seen people do that um that i'm just like you are not an old person and you know how to use computers and yet you're doing this. And it's interesting to me because it's sort of, I think it speaks to something. It's like, no, it's easier for me to do it this way because I don't have to type in msnbc.com. I can just type in msnbc and then click on the link. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's a weird thing, but that's, that's a side issue. Yeah. And it's one of those things, but it's one of those things that's weird to you, but does it matter? They're using it in a way that's easiest for them. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really matter. But I, technology but I think... is supposed to help, you know, enable people to do what they want to do. So if you know they find that if that's how they are enabled to do their work, you know, why not? And they're not blowing up war freighters, so exactly. it doesn't really matter. You know, it, it it's funny though because I think there is a there's a general undercurrent in the episode that. Um, is dealing with a lot of that like yeah. frustration that I think people feel in general about technology. And it's not anything that is, I don't even think it's specific to computers. I think it's just, um, I mean, you go back to the Luddites, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, throwing things in the machines to break them. I mean, this is kind of what happens. Yeah. So I think science fiction in general reflects attitudes towards technology. I mean, that's obvious. Look at, I mean, looking at something like the development of look at cyberpunk in the '80s versus around 2000, you know. Well, hell, look at look at the 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 relationship to technology that that Star Trek: The Next Generation has yeah. to, to the original series. Yeah. So at this, that being said, it's really interesting that this episode is happening at this point because I actually no, because in general, too much technology is a bad thing, and it doesn't really believe in artificial intelligence. There is a lot of computers that he destroys by logic. Because they're evil. 
Yeah. Well, I think there's not really that the computer is evil, but that it has no moral center. And so it doesn't know that it's being evil, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? I mean, this is another episode. It's kind of like Nomad, yeah. This is another episode where Kirk talks a computer to death. And this is one of the easiest ones he's done, by the way. Like, he essentially uh, did the same, you know, used the same chain of logic to Nomad, but Nomad was much more dramatic and took a little longer. But is it easier because there is a part of the M5 computer that is human? That's true. And also he had um he had a guide because he saw um Darwell um you know break down from it, you know, and realizing okay, well they're on the uh you know Dawnstar put his own pro, you know personality into that. So that's how he as a man broke down. So I'm going to make the computer feel the same emotion as that. You know, he can guilt. He can be guilted easily, I'd yeah, say. Yeah. So that that is probably part of it. He he had a hint. I think the final thing about this episode before we wrap up is uh, a question that has always bothered me about it. Why didn't they build some sort of kill switch into this thing in case something like this happened? Well, one of the, at, at one point they were, well they're in the engineering part and they're you know then he goes to touch on that force field like zaps them. So I assume that that's where the kill switch was. I don't know. I it figured, seems weird to me. Yeah, like, I got the sense that there you know or when he's. Like, they're going to do something in the wall, and, like, it starts, like, using that laser beam on that. I figured that, you know, those things were ways of disabling it or, you know, turning it off or something or, you know, cutting a cut off that it was just protecting. And, I mean, I know that that had to happen because otherwise yeah. you don't have an episode. Yeah. But, you know, it just always strikes me as odd because— yeah, if they control out the leader, that's and, a ten minute episode. Computers don't work that way. Like they don't decide they're going to have a force field. Like it that just doesn't that doesn't happen. Like your computer doesn't decide that it doesn't want to go. Yeah, but this is the ultimate computer. That it doesn't want to open Google today because it's feeling sad. I mean that <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Yeah, but again, computers, computers today and, and, computers today are not based on personalities though. Well that's true. I mean but he, I think, he specifically says, you know, to you know, you know, Kirk, like you can't, you you know, I invented the other thing. It's our, it's like the dinosaurs now. You know, this is so much more advanced. You know, he basically says it's an apples and oranges comparison. You can't use what we have to explain what this computer does. So it's hand wavy, yes, and it's you know the computer has magic, and also you know this was made in 1968, and they had no idea that computers would be as the iPhone is. I just accepted it as that. I guess at the end of the day, it has more to do with the fact that the average person in 1968 had a very different idea of what a computer is than we do. Yeah. You know, to them, a computer was a large machine in a room that guys in white coats could use, and it took a long time to add two plus two. Yeah, they were at, like, universities, government facilities, like places average average people had no large company payroll department using a computer whatsoever whereas we don't even realize we're using computers now you know how many people have uh iphones or android phones or anything like that and don't even realize that it's a computer oh yeah so i don't you don't realize that your iphone is a computer no it's an iphone it's a computer, Richard. It's, well, we, then why don't they just call it an iComputer? Because that would be a dumb name. Well, like, oh, yes, you're right. The iPhone is the greatest name. I don't even use it as a phone. That's you. I just play, like, uh, whatever this little game, this tile-matching game, and, like, Twitter. Great. Yeah. All right, so how, so how many triples would you give? I would computer? give this seven triples. Yeah, 
It's seven. It's not the best episode, but I liked it and it had some really interesting points. I'll go with that too. Seven. Okay. All right. Well, next week we are wrapping up the second season. Can what? you believe it? Yeah. Ra- we're wrapping. Well, my name is Mr. Spock and I'm going to take out my Glock. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Just uh, not, don't just, yeah, let's just leave that alone. Okay. Uh, we are going to wrap up the second season by talking about bread and circuses and assignment earth. I could go for some bread. And after that, we will um, probably be drinking a lot to get through the third season. So I can't wait. The tone of this show will change after next week. Let's just say that. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll see you then. Bye.